the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And so the people who were from Jerusalem, who knew that the religious leaders hated Jesus and wanted him dead, said, look, he's speaking publicly. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? Today on Study Verse by Verse, we are continuing our study in the book of John. Pastor Leighton Sheely is our teacher from Church of the Highlands in San Bruno. And last week, as we began this particular message, he asked the question, is he liar, lunatic, or Lord? And we're continuing the answer to that question on this particular edition of the program. We're on the web at studyversebyverse.com. And the church, Church of the Highlands in San Bruno, reaches out on the web at highlands.us. That's highlands.us. I'm Mike Trout. Thank you for joining us today. And Pastor Layton begins with just a little bit of an overview of where we've been. John chapter 7 Uh, begins uh, describing an event that took place just six months or so before the end of Jesus' life and ministry. And the author, who is the Apostle John, described an an event that took place at the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, before the Feast of Tabernacles, as it was coming and approaching, the Jesus' brothers, we are told, had urged Jesus to go into the city and make a grand entrance and openly declare himself to be the Messiah. But Jesus instead chose to go in privately and arrived about halfway through it. He immediately went into the temple and began to teach. Now, his unexpected appearance there uh, resulted in the uh, religious leaders responding with the hostility that was to be expected. But the people were deeply divided over who Jesus was. And so this section of Scripture again records for us how the crowds responded to Jesus. And there's intense confusion and sometimes, in some cases, just outright contempt. Now, when we were together last, we studied verses 14 through 24. So when we begin our study today, we're going to begin at verse 25. But I want to provide some background before we get to verse 25. So I'm going to begin reading at verse 14. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying... How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law, and yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. Now, if on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, 
Are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. So the crowd was surprised to see Jesus suddenly appear and begin teaching. Now, unlike the pilgrims, remember in Jerusalem during time of feast that the population of Jerusalem would swell, maybe 10 or 20 times its regular size. Over a million people would come into that little city of Jerusalem during the time of the feasts. And unlike the pilgrims who were mentioned in verse 20, who said, who's trying to kill you? In verse 25, it says some of the people of Jerusalem were well aware of the intentions of the religious leaders to kill Jesus. Is not this the man whom they are seeking to kill? These are the people who lived in Jerusalem year-round. So they heard the scuttlebutt. They knew that the religious leaders hated Jesus and they wanted him dead. And yet those same leaders were listening in silence as Jesus stood up and condemned their hypocrisy and and they said nothing. And, and, and why did they do that? Well, it might have been that they were fearful of, uh, of uh, debating him. Because every time the religious leaders tried to debate Jesus, they came out the losers. And so it may have been that they were afraid to debate him. Uh, it may have been that they were afraid uh, that if they seized him in public, it might cause a riot because the crowd was deeply divided as to whether he was the Messiah or not. And they didn't want to cause a riot because if they did, the Romans would blame them. And then the Romans might take them out of their positions of prestige and power, and they didn't want to lose that. But whatever the reason, they held their tongue. And so the people who were from Jerusalem, who knew that the religious leaders hated Jesus and wanted him dead, said, look, he's speaking publicly, and they're saying nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So they were saying, do the rulers think that this is the Christ? Maybe they've gotten together and they've found something out that we don't know about yet. Maybe they've gotten together and they've come to the conclusion that he's the Christ, and that's why they're not saying anything. But verse 27 explains why some of the crowd rejected the possibility that Jesus might be the Messiah. They said, but we know where this man is from. Now, their argument was a combination of misinformation and popular legend. They thought, they knew that he was from Nazareth, and so they thought that he'd been born in Nazareth and didn't recognize that he had been born in Bethlehem in fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies concerning the Messiah. And so not only had they failed to recognize his heavenly origin, they also failed to recognize his true earthly origin as well. Now, their statement, whenever the Christ may come, no one may know where he is from, expressed a popular belief. And it was based on a misinterpretation of passages such as that found in Isaiah 53.8, which says, who will declare his generation? Which they interpreted as meaning no one will know that where the, the Messiah came from, what lineage that he came from. And Malachi 3.1, the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And so based on a misunderstanding of what those verses were saying, they thought that the Messiah would just suddenly appear out of nowhere. That he was concealed someplace and he would just burst onto the scene. And, and that uh, came up in a conversation in the second century between Trypho, who uh, was an opponent of Christianity 
uh, in a conversation with Justin Martyr, one of the early Christian apologists. And Trifo said to Justin, but Christ, if he has indeed been born and exists anywhere, is unknown and does not even know himself and has no power until Elias or Elijah come to anoint him and make him manifest to all. And so since they knew Jesus' background, they assumed he couldn't be the Messiah. Now that attitude was not only prevalent in that day, it's also prevalent in today's world as well. There are some people who believe that they can only seek God and find God in the abnormal or the extraordinary. That you can never find God in the ordinary or common things of life. But Christianity teaches that if God only were to enter the world in an unusual way, that he would seldom be in it. But we can find God in the common things of life because he is always present. Christianity doesn't look as though God occasionally invades our world, but rather that he is always in our world and never absent from it. God is not only here in the extraordinary, but he's also here in the ordinary. In fact, he created the ordinary. And occasionally he decides to go extraordinary. But that doesn't mean he doesn't live with us in the ordinary as well. Verse 28, so Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true and him you do not know. I know him for I come from him and he sent me. So, you know, in answer to their objections, Jesus makes two statements. He says, it's quite true you know where I come from, but it's also true that I come directly from God. And then secondly, Jesus said, you don't know God, but I do. And that was an insult to God's people to tell them that they did not go know God. And it was an incredible claim of Jesus that he alone knew God, that he had some kind of a special relationship with him. It was a stunning indictment and rebuke, especially towards the scribes and the Pharisees, because as Israel's religious elite, they had devoted their entire lives to the study of the Old Testament, and they prided themselves on the knowledge of God. Now, there's an important distinction that needs to be made. Knowledge of God should never be confused with knowing God. Knowledge of God is not the same thing as knowing God. On the day when we stand before the pearly gates, entering into heaven is not going to be based on how we answer a pop quiz on our knowledge of God. It's going to be based upon knowing God and God knowing us. Jesus truly did know him and shared his eternal essence because in the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God. You remember when we studied that? God the Father and God the Son were in relationship from eternity fast, face-to-face having conversation. No one knows God the Father like God the Son. Jesus could say, I know God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. I am from him, and he sent me. Verse 30, so they were seeking to arrest him, but... No one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. They were infuriated by him. They they wanted to seize him. 
but they failed. And what the author here wants us to understand is they failed because his hour had not yet come. Everything was under God's control and God's timetable. Jesus was always operating on God's timetable. Jesus was always aware of God's timetable. That's why he would often say the hour has not yet come. What a great example of how we should live our lives. Do we think about God's timetable or do we want it right now? This microwave world that we live in works against that all the time and it gets frustrating and then we're out of the Lord's will and life begins to spin out of control. Do you feel that way today? (laughs) I do certainly at times. We're going to hear more from the book of John and the seventh chapter with Pastor Leighton Sheely as he continues his study in the book of John. Thank you for joining us. This is an outreach ministry of Church of the Highlands in San Bruno. Now you can become a part of our effort here in the Bay Area by supporting us financially and praying for the ministry. You can give safely when you go to the website studyversebyverse.com and find out all about Church of the Highlands on the web at highlands.us. And join us tomorrow, if you can, at this same time, when Pastor Layton will once again, of course, open the Word of God, and we will study verse by verse.